Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. So this week, uh, our portion is Vayishlach, and we're continuing in the story of Jacob. Over the past few weeks, uh, we've been discussing the, the topic of Jacob's becoming a man of truth and how it was a process that he walked through throughout his life. Um, he had many challenges and struggles along the way, but, but God was with him throughout it all, and he kept his eyes on the Lord and walked in faith towards him. Now this week, I feel like the, the message is around restoration and reconciliation. Um, you know, Jacob had taken the blessing from Esau deceptively, and then he had fled for his life and went up into Laban's house and had lived at Laban's house for, for 20 years. And he says that when he crossed the Jordan, heading toward Laban, all he had was his staff in his hand. And so he had gone from being in his father's house to now being one who's fleeing for his life with only a staff in his hand. And now he's returning to the land with great wealth, for God had blessed him when he was living with Laban. And we talked too about how, you know, when Jacob was, was born, he was grasping on to Esau's heel. And so his father called him Jacob, which, is, which has illusions of crookedness, of even deception. And, but his mother didn't call him that. The scripture just says that he called him Jacob. Whereas the scripture says that they together called Esau, Esau. And so Rebecca had a different hope. Not that, not that Isaac didn't have a hope for Jacob, but, but I think she saw something else and said, no, 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 your identity is beyond one that is crooked or grasps the heel. You have another calling to walk in. And so Jacob wrestled with this identity and sought to overcome the, his namesake, essentially. Um, and we discussed how when he went in to take the, the blessing, that perhaps he didn't intend to be deceptive, but then he actually did walk in deception, took the blessing from Esau, and then had to flee. And then as, as a result, we see Jacob being deceived by Laban in similar terms. And we see other tragedies that, that befell uh, Jacob and his children through the ages that paralleled what took place coming from this deception. But when he was in Laban's house working for Laban, he walked in righteousness. And even though Laban continued to change his wages over and over, Jacob did not, he did not return that kind of deception toward Laban. Instead, he walked faithfully. And he never took anything that was Laban's. All that, all that Jacob had when he came back to the land, God had given him. And God had made him prosper. So in this portion, when he's coming back to the land, we see that he sends word to Esau, saying that he's coming. 
He sends gifts to Esau as well and divides his family into two camps. He wrestles with the man throughout the night, as we heard Elizabeth read earlier. And then following that, we see a reconciliation take place with Esau. Continuing on from there, he settles in Shechem, and then he continues on to Bethel, and then on to Bethlehem. And along the way, we see the death of Rachel and the birth of Benjamin. So a lot takes place in this week's portion, and, but we're going to focus on the, the first part, leading up to his, going through his encounter with Esau. Now, before we get into a lot of the details on this, I want to talk about, uh, talk about truth, justice, and peace. Because we're talking about Jacob becoming a man of truth, right? In his life, it was a process of becoming a man of truth and walking as a man of truth. And so I'm going to, I guess we're going to, take a little step over and read something from Pirkei Avot, The Ethics of the Fathers, and talk about um, a few aspects of what truth, justice, and peace mean. But I want to start with Pirkei Avot 1-2, which says, the world stands on three things, Torah, service of God, and acts of kindness. All right? Now, Within this, when I, when I read that the world stands on three things, Torah, service of God, and acts of kindness, I can't help but think about what Yeshua said the greatest commandment is. So in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, he was asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the Torah? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the Torah and the prophets. Right? So here we have those three things working together in tandem. The Torah gives revelation of what serving God and loving your neighbor looks like, of what loving God and loving your neighbor looks like. And there's a unique aspect about how the Torah is one of these key things, right? Because we can talk about service of God and, and acts of kindness and say, isn't that enough, right? Could we just do those things and not have the Torah? And the answer is no, because what some people say is service of God and acts of kindness do not align with what the Torah says it is. So the Torah is objective truth, whereas mankind is always looking for subjective truth. Right? And so within the idea of subjective truth, it's not really that, well, I mean, in, I'm, you know, we'll give the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, it's not that people are trying to be uh, wicked, but that, frankly, our emotions and our thoughts and our flesh gets in the way to where we'll rationalize things that are not right before the Lord. Right? So we actually have to have the objective truth that grounds us and establishes what is service of God and what are acts of kindness. So these three things stand together, and the world stands on those three. Now, we can look at those as a, you know, a, essentially a base where you say, okay, well, Torah defines what the truth is, and it's established on service of God on one hand and service and acts of kindness on the other, which is loving God and loving your neighbor. 
Alternatively, we could look at it as a progression as well and say, well, you start with Torah and then you go into relationship with God and then from relationship in God, now you can love your neighbor because now you know how to love your neighbor having known the love of God, right? So we could look at it as a base with the Torah at the top or we could look at it as a progression. And similarly, within Pirkei Avot, the Ethics of the Fathers, in verse 18 of that first chapter, they say, by three things the world is sustained, justice, truth, and peace. And what they're quoting from, or what they're pulling this from, is from Zechariah 8.16. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. So now, again, with this one, we can look at it in these two frameworks of, you know, what is, in this case, what would be likened to the Torah. That what would be likened to the Torah is truth. And then two pillars of that can be justice and peace. And now, within this, I've heard it explained that truth can express itself as justice or as peace. And when it expresses itself as justice, then it's like a legal ruling is set forth between two parties that are at odds. Okay, and they come to the court and they say, we have this dispute. The court hears and judges in righteousness and says, here's what I'm saying is the verdict. And so I'm rendering truth into this situation. Through a, judge, through, through a judgment, which is justice, okay? So that's an externally imposed truth. But now on the other side, for peace, is something that comes within. It's not something that's uh, forced upon two parties, but rather within a party, the desire for truth comes forth. And this can be likened to a situation where there is a dispute between parties, but, but one of the parties, or perhaps both, recognize that they are a part of the problem. And they come forward, and they repent, and they ask forgiveness. And that can actually bring forth peace, because that truth is brought forth in the relationship. So truth is expressed both in the aspect of justice, externally imposed, or imposed, or com- expressing itself in peace, because it comes from within. And so today when we look at the story of Jacob and Esau coming together, we see a picture really of truth being expressed in peace because we see the brothers coming together in forgiveness and weeping on each other's necks. Right Now, it's interesting because Jacob is seeking to walk in truth and he has wronged his brother through having taken the blessing that was due to Esau. And we can argue, well, okay, so let's start with this question. How many times do you know of a conflict between people where one side holds all of the responsibility and the other side is completely innocent? Now, those things do happen. There are situations where that can be, but most of the time, there's fault on both sides. And when you're you're in the situation of a conflict with someone, sometimes it can be really hard to see your part in it, right? Now, we know that Jacob deceived Esau, 
But then we can also say, well, you know what, Esau wasn't totally innocent in everything that was going on because look back at how he spurned the birthright, right? He spurned the birthright and sold it to Jacob for a pot of beans. And the scripture actually says, it gives a, the scripture gives its opinion saying he spurned the birthright. It didn't just say he sold the birthright. It's like, no, I'm, I'm weighing in here and saying what he did was wrong. So, okay, so in, in some ways he's despised the birthright and, and potentially even the blessing. So you, you have a situation, though, where there's a need for one party at least to come to the point of saying, I repent and I want to try to make things right. I want to bring restoration so that reconciliation can take place. So let's, let's read some of the story and we'll talk uh, about how, how this happens. So Jacob is coming back to the land and he sends word to his brother that he's coming. Now he could have come into the land and tried to just stay away from Esau, right? But he didn't. Instead, he sent word to Esau, I'm coming. And so the scriptures here say, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. So this isn't going well so far. Because <laughs> Jacob's saying, you know what, I want to reconcile. I'm going to send, you know, to my brother and I'm going to say, look, I'm your servant. Okay, go find favor before him for me. And he's coming with 400 men ready to, to make good on his promise to kill his brother. So this isn't going well. So now Jacob begins to move in another way towards restoration. Okay, so if we continue reading in the scriptures here in verse 7, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all, these, of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faith, faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children." But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys, these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and sent to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau my brother meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong, where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you, then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover he is behind us. 
He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Now, if you've heard this story before, you may have heard people say, you know, why was Jacob so fearful? I mean, he had, he had the promise. He had God on his side, and he remembered God's promises, and now he's prayed. So why is he so worried? And is he just acting in fear? Is he trying to... Uh, gain favor with the wicked just by trying to appease them? You know, what, what exactly is going on? But there's something deeper to what's taking place with why Jacob is acting as he is with sending these three flocks of gifts, not, and not just a gift, but something that will keep on giving, right? Because he's giving the male and the females. And he's giving large, I mean, these are large flocks that he's giving. And they're, they're ones that will grow into a great inheritance for Esau. And then he's continually calling himself the servant of Esau. So these couple of things are actually tying back to the elements of the blessing that Jacob received, that Esau should have received from his father. Back in Genesis 27, 28 through 29, the scripture says, this was the blessing that Isaac uh, unknowingly gave to Jacob, right? He said, May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed is everyone who curses you and blessed is everyone who blesses you. Now, if we look here, there's several elements of the blessing. He says, May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Well, Jacob has within his power the ability to give fatness of the earth to Esau because of all the flocks that he has. He doesn't have the ability to give him the dew of heaven, right? But he can say, of the blessing that I took that should have been yours, this is what I can give back to you. I can give back to you the fatness of the earth such that you can be blessed with this. And then let other people's serve you. So now I'm presenting myself as your servant, as is stated in the blessing. And it says, and nations bow down to you. And then may your mother's sons bow down to you. Right? So who are his mother's sons? Who are Esau's mother's sons? Well, one of them is Jacob. And then nations bowing down, well, that's the children of Jacob. And you say, well, Chris, within the scripture we just read, I didn't see them bowing down, but we do see them bowing down when you have the encounter. After Jacob wrestles and he comes to Esau, the scripture says that he prostrated himself seven times before Esau, and then his family came and bowed down as well. So within every aspect that it was in Jacob's power to restore what had been taken, he gave back to Esau freely and said, no, please receive of this. He said, I took it deceptively. I'm giving you back what I can of it because that's what the Torah commands. Now, he didn't, the Torah wasn't given at this point, but that's what the Torah does command. If, there, if an item is stolen or taken, you return it, right? And so he's saying, that was taken wrongly. 
I'm going to do everything I can to make restoration. And that, rest, that restoration that he gave paved the way for the reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. Now, before the reconciliation takes place, right? So he sends the messengers ahead and begins the process of restoration. Before he actually meets Esau, we know that Jacob has an encounter. So in Genesis 32, 23, as we continue on in our reading, the scripture says he took his family and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, sorry, I threw you off, Jeremy. (laughs) Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So, what stands out here within this encounter, right? The scripture says that he met a man. He was alone, but yet he wrestled with a man. It's like you're not alone if you're wrestling with a man, but he was alone from everything he had with him. And the sages speak of this as being an angel that he wrestled with. And so it says here as well in verse 30, Jacob says, he calls the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face, right? So he's saying that he had wrestled with a... Uh, heavenly entity, right? At the bare minimum. So angel of the Lord, some say angel of Esau. There's various things that we can grab, uh, pull from that. But one of the things that's happening here is he's having yet another wrestle with who are you? And are you going to be able to walk forward in the path of righteousness? Are you going to be able to continue to face this head on? Or will you move in some way in a deceptive manner, right? Because even as we read this, when he wrestles with the man, it continually says, he said, he said, he said, he said. There's times when you're reading this, you're saying, well, who's, who's talking? Who's doing what? And so there's even a picture of how much is Jacob wrestling with himself? Of am I the one who goes roundabout? Or am I the one who takes things head on? He said, I've begun to go down this path of facing things head on, right? I sent word to Esau, but now he's coming at me with 400 men ready to kill me. All right, so I'm going to do everything within my power. I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust the Lord. But can I overcome? And so within the wrestling, it's yes, you have overcome. And you are not going to be known as Jacob is the one who goes, th- goes about things roundabout anymore. You're going to be known as the one who takes things head on. You're going to be the one who's known as the overcomer, who walks in righteousness, who walks in the straight path. And so, you know, his, his name wasn't actually changed here. It gets changed in, in 35, but it said, you will no longer be known as one who deceives, but you'll be one known as one who walks uprightly. So now it was still for him to go forward and walk uprightly. Right. And not to turn back to his old ways. 
And so here he is, he's overcoming, walking. He's, he is seeking to walk in a new identity. And he is actively walking in that identity. Even though there's the chance for pitfalls and stumbling along the way, that's the path that he has chosen. That's the path that he is walking along. And now, within this, this new identity that he has, now, now that he has this new identity, he's ready to walk into reconciliation. Okay? So now that he's ready to walk into reconciliation, he gets up, limping as it were, right? And he goes off to meet Esau. So in continuing with the story in Genesis 33, verses 1 through 4, I alluded to this earlier. Um, it says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children along with, among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with, with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Right? So what we see with this is that Jacob had walked head on into something that was very difficult, saying, I'm taking hold of the new identity. I'm taking hold of Israel, laying Jacob behind. doing all that he could to make restor restoration with his brother that paved the way for this reconciliation because it was on the way that Esau's heart was changed. And the Esau said, no, I can see this as my brother. And could actually come upon him, run to him, embrace him, kiss him, and together weep as the walls fall down between them. It's really, it's a beautiful picture to see what can take place with people who are given a new identity. With people who are called out of the way that their flesh wants to go into a higher calling. And, and that's the story we have through what Yeshua has given to us. You know what? God seeks us out and he pursues us. And he changes us from within, imparting us with his truth. And his truth within us brings peace, brings restoration to us. And from that place of restoration, then we go forward as agents of reconciliation in the world, right? And when we, when we read this story, you know, at least in my case, I always read it from the perspective of Jacob, thinking, okay, well, here he is. He's coming back. He's trying to do the right thing. His brother wants to kill him. You know, and, and just thinking about it from that, that perspective and saying, well, you know what? He does have more culpability in what's going on, so he's doing a good job with see, being the one to seek restoration. But then if we think about it from Esau's perspective, right? Now, he's coming, and he is not ready to move at all in restoration or, or reconciliation until his brother makes the first move. But if you get, what about the scenario where, let's say that Esau is coming to meet him. I mean, this, this isn't, uh, 
This is a totally hypothetical thing, right? Okay. But let's say he was coming to meet him and, and saying, look, I'm coming with 400 people to greet you because what I want to do is I want to celebrate you and I want to make things right for what I did wrong. Because what if he said, you know what? I had told dad that you deceived me these two times. You know, you, t- you deceptively took the birthright and you deceptively took the blessing. Because that's what he actually said. He said he deceived me these two times. But it's like, well, I read the story of how he bought the birthright from you. That didn't seem so deceptive. Right. Here comes the whole subjective aspect of our assessment of situations. But let's say, you know, so he's coming and say, you know what? You did deceptively take the blessing and you're more to blame for everything that's gone wrong here. But I had a part to play in it, too. And I'm sorry. And I want to make things right now. I think it's hard for us to picture Esau doing that. Right. Because he was a victim in this. And uh, but what a great overcoming it would, would be for someone to be able to come to that point and say, look, I'm not the one who's more at fault here, but I'm going to be the one who's seeking restoration so that we can reconcile this relationship. That'd be a, a great thing. Even if, even if he was 30%, 20% responsible, it would be a, a great feat. But what about the situation where someone's not at fault at all? And they come and they seek to make restoration in the relationship and reconciliation. Even greater, even more of a hurdle than you can really probably fathom. But I think that's exactly what God did with us, right? For the fault is not his, but it's the children who have fallen away and who are in need of redemption and restoration. And so what we see is God sending his son to bring reconciliation for us. And within this, he's reconciling, the scripture says that he is reconciling us to himself, right? This is in Ephesians 2, and I've, I've got it up here on the screen, but I'm going to flip over here so I can follow along more with what I'm trying to say. So, Actually, you know what? It's not this verse. I think that, uh, okay, it's actually 2 Corinthians 5 that I was thinking of. Where the scripture says, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has entrusted the message of reconciliation to us. So what Paul's talking about here is that God sought, out, sought us out and reconciled us to himself, bringing restoration so that we could go be agents of reconciliation. You see the same pattern where the restoration in us takes place by the power of God, and then we go forward and act as agents of righteousness and reconciliation in the world. So if we think about the aspect even of what we talked about earlier with the sayings of the fathers, with Torah, service of God, and good deeds, right? We see God's word coming into us, God transforming us so that we can go and love others well. 
And then we see God's truth manifest in us through Yeshua so that we can then have the peace of God that passes all understanding, right? And the scripture says that Yeshua is our peace, right? And if we think about it in the terms of God's truth expressed in the world and that he is our peace, that he has transformed us by imparting his truth in us, as we said earlier, about his truth comes within us and establishes peace from within so that we might be agents of peace in the world. And this is what brings us to Ephesians 2, verse 10, and, and continuing. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now I want to stop here. Within this, Within this story that we're reading, Paul's talking about two groups. He's talking about Jews and non-Jews who have now been brought together and reconciled to one another through Yeshua, right? So just as in the story of Jacob and Esau, we see two brothers coming and being reconciled. We have Jew and non-Jew who are of faith in God who are now being reconciled to one another through Yeshua, right? Being made into one new man. And the scripture talks about how, okay, let's, we'll do a little sidebar on this. Here in verse 11, he says, the Gentiles in the flesh or the non-Jews in the flesh are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. It's, and then he says, which is made in the flesh by hands. Speaking of the circumcision of the flesh, is in the flesh by hands, but the transformation that God brings through Yeshua is a transformation of the Spirit, bringing unity between the two groups. And that circumcision of the heart, that transformation of the, of the Spirit, can only be done through God, not through the efforts of human hands or what is, is somewhat times referred to as the works of the law. The works of the law not being the works of the commandments of God, but the works of human hands in establishing whether one is a Jew or a non-Jew. But that could be for a deeper study for us some other time. But let that just kind of sit with you. But now, so he comes and he brings a group that were far away and he brings them near. And it says that he is our peace and makes peace between us by removing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that was the dividing wall 
between the two groups. Now, the question becomes, was the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that needed to be abolished so the two groups could be one, was that the Torah? And it's by no means was that the Torah. It would actually be, I don't want to say that, it would be, uh, it'd be hard to fathom that the objective truth of God's righteousness revealed to mankind would need to be removed to bring two groups together or to redeem a fallen people because it's God's very word and truth that transforms people and renews them. So if, so if the idea is that to bring peace, the Torah has to be removed, then you're saying that the people are unredeemable, that they cannot change, that they cannot be made new, but rather the standards all have to be thrown out so they can remain in their putrid state and be okay. <laughs> anyway, that's, <laughs> but no, that's, that's not the case. God says, I have the power to transform you, to make you into a new creation so that you can walk according to my word and my righteousness, right? That's the beauty of God's transforming power to take that which is broken, like we talked about last week, to take the ashes and bring forth new life, to bring restoration. And so what's being spoken of here in this passage is the abolishing of the commandments expressed in ordinances being that a, that a Jew and a non-Jew cannot have fellowship with one another because the non-Jew has the stain of pagan activities and their former way of life such that they could not come together with the Jew. But Yeshua says that's being broken down because the non-Jew who has faith in God is now made a new creation. And back in Acts 10, recall, when Peter had his vision of the sheep coming down, God said, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And the writer says, that which God has made clean is the Gentile, the non-Jew who has come to faith in God. Do not call that person unclean, for God has made them clean. So he took down the barrier that would keep them apart by making the unclean person clean. Does that make sense? And by doing that, he established peace between the two so they could be one and in oneness by the Spirit of Yeshua. So he creates peace by bringing restoration and then reconciliation. And that's God's truth expressed within us and within his body, within his kingdom. Now, I was thinking about this too. This, this week's portion talks about Jacob coming back he has been in exile, and now he's returning to the land that God has promised to him. And so he's going forth to inherit the promises. But along the way, he has to be changed, and he has to be given a new identity. He has to then begin to be restored and seek restoration and reconciliation with his brothers along the way. And then once that's accomplished, once that is being worked out, then he comes and the first place he settles down, he calls Sukkot, right? Now, Sukkot is a temporary dwelling structure. It was a structure that was a covering for his flocks and such. But the fact that he comes back and dwells at Sukkot gives us like this larger picture. Like if we stepped back and said, what's the story of God's redemption of man? Well, right now man is sitting in exile 
waiting for the return of Yeshua. Right? And God is bringing restoration and reconciliation to us by the power of the Spirit. And Yeshua is going to return. And when he does, God will be dwelling with man and the ingathering of the nations will take place, which is what happens, is what we celebrate at Sukkot. So you have a picture of the redemption that's taking place. And part of that redemption includes the reconciliation of brothers who've been far apart. Right? So the work of Yeshua to bring reconciliation and unity with, amongst brothers is a significant part of the restoration. And now, as we read earlier about how we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, we're partners with him in going out in this world, not just within our families or just within our community, but even beyond as agents of reconciliation, partnering with him and looking forward to the return of Yeshua and his dwelling at Sukkot. And, you know, if you, uh, if you attended the membership meeting this week, we talked about the importance of uh, reconciliation and restoration and what part that plays in our mission and vision here as Emmaus Road. And ultimately, what it, what it comes down to, what we see evidenced with Jacob as he's coming, is a recognition of what is truth and saying, what is truth? How can I align myself with it? And he recognizes that the truth was he had done something wrong and that it had caused a breakdown in a relationship. And he said, how can I make it right? And I'm going to walk in those acts of righteousness and in in those acts of kindness toward my brother. And in that, I will be overcoming with man and overcoming with God, right? This, this is one thing... You know, back when the, uh, the angel is wrestling with him and he says, you'll be called Israel for you have overcome with man and overcome with God. Overcome what? Right? What did he overcome? He didn't overcome God. Right? But he's striven, he's wrestled with who he is or who he was in his former way. And he has overcome and he is now walking uprightly. Right? And so that's the call for us is to say, we have a past, we have a former way of walking. Even some of the th- former way of walking that, that should be former is still current, right? Because we're still all along the path of restoration and becoming the person that God has called us to be. And so now we have a wrestling match that needs to take place. And it may just be with us individually, within ourselves, saying, who am I? How am I going to walk? How will I be known from this day forward? I may have been known as that in the past, but that's not my identity. What is the identity I walk in from this day, and what will I be known as from this day forward? And may that be men and women who, in the restoration that we've been given, walk in reconciliation with one another. Yes, Paul. Mm, yes. As you mentioned, it's the subjectivity of ourselves gets in the way of our willingness to walk in the newness of life, right? That gets in the way. It's, and so, as you said, to, uh, for those who are online, that Jacob walked with a limp, which is a reminder of his need for the Lord to help him in his walk, right? And so, absolutely, we have to have the Spirit 
And then along with that, there is a choice that we have to make on our own to seek to pursue God's will, to lay down that which is of ourselves, knowing that it will be through God's strength that we can go and overcome. But there is a decision that we have to make. And even that night, as Jacob was getting ready to go and face Esau, he had a decision to make, and he chose righteousness, and it led to reconciliation. Amen. Do anybody have anything, anybody else have anything that you wanted to share? Can we get the microphone? Yes, recently I read that story about when um, Jacob struggled with the heavenly being, and I just had some thoughts about it. It kind of struck me that um, up to that point, it seemed like Jacob in some ways was doing a lot of things in self-strength, and even like when he encountered this this being, just kind of like, I'm going to wrestle and force it to give me something, and uh, it wasn't until that moment whenever the the angelic being, you know, knocked his hips out of alignment, out of, play, out of place, and that moment he was, all he could do was just cling to this being, and that's when everything turned around, when he was given a new identity, and so it kind of struck me that in, in our own lives, like, that when we do things in self-strength, um, it, isn't, it isn't until we're broken of that, and all we can do is cling to the Lord, that mm-hmm. things that we have a breakthrough and things turn around, and we get empowered you know, in our true identity, when we come to that place and we're just broken of our self-strength and all we can do is cling to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, we have to rely on the Lord. And oftentimes within our difficulty and the challenges that we face, we do find ourselves in a place where it's, we have no choice but to trust the Lord, right? Yes. I have a question about when God changed Jacob's name to Israel, how does that how does that look? Does he then tell people, well, God has changed my name and now it's Israel, so don't call me Jacob anymore? I've always wondered, how does that work? From this point forward within the scriptures, he's called Jacob and he's called Israel, right? So it wasn't a, uh, you're going to have to tell everybody this is your new name and not to call you the other name, but rather, this is how you will walk and this is how they will know you. And so... What the sages say in the scriptures here, like when we're reading throughout the rest of uh, Genesis and it mentions Jacob or Israel, when it mentions Jacob, they say that's when we're speaking about him acting in the flesh. When Israel, that's when speaking about him walking in his spiritual identity. And so, uh, so I don't think it was an aspect of Everyone call me this now, but you will be known by this. And this is your name. This is your identity. You are a new creation. Now walk accordingly. So, and Manny had a question. Oh, David does too. I I just want to say it just kind of hit me a little bit that this restoration and reconciliation is, is not for the individual, but for all humanity. All of humanity's identity is changed because of the reconciliation of Christ. And we're transformed into the sons of God by him approaching us first. Mm -hmm. So the picture of of Jacob approaching Esau is a beautiful picture of Christ approaching us first. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that is the beauty is of God reconciling us to himself, right? He was the act of one to bring about 
the restoration and the reconciliation. And this struggle between Esau uh, and I, his brother, it, it so often happens that we'll get into a quarrel where we have legitimate grievances with the other party, but it, it becomes very, as you pointed out before, very uh, easy to overlook and enhance the other person's part and minimize our own. Right. Yes, uh, it isn't really accurate to say that he stole his, uh, that he stole, uh, his birthright and uh, on top of his blessing, he was, he was impulsive in trading away his, uh, his birthright. I'm sorry, can we get? He was impulsive in giving, trading away his birthright, and he wasn't taking responsibility for that. But uh, at the same time, you could say that uh, Jacob took advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but uh, he's it's like he's totally whitewashing his body, and no sure. one forced him to trade it away. Right. But we do that on so many levels so often, and that's where we end up before a court where the court have to assess different things and they come to a certain judgment, but then they kind of, uh, it evens things out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, uh, you have a legitimate group, but you didn't have to do this, you chose to do this, and you know, yeah. just a uh, random observation. Yeah, the uh, minim- minimization of our part is human nature, absolutely. And that's the whole subjective aspect that often keeps us from knowing what truth really is or even submitting to the truth, right? I wanted to go back to uh, Genesis 31. Uh, it's essentially it's the, the whole chapter uh, when Jacob is leaving Laban's house. Um, and he says to, he notices that Laban's face has changed, he says, in verse <laughs> 2. And then in verse 3, uh, the Lord says to him, you know, it speaks to him uh, to, to leave the land. Uh, and it, it kind of it strengthened him. And he says to his wife uh, how he guided him through the entire process that although he has been cheated, although he has been lied to, uh, you know, got the, didn't get the wife that he asked for in the beginning, uh, his flocks were always on his side. Uh, in the, in the midst of all the challenges that he was experiencing, that although to him it was expect it was experienced as a bad situation, bad circumstances, and difficult challenges, at the end, uh, God was kind of directing it toward His good, toward His benefit. Where at the end, although the hardship that he was going through. He ended up being blessed, uh, not because of his own effort. He, it looks like he tried to do the right thing, regardless of the the treatment that Laban mm-hmm. did towards him. Uh, and through this entire time, uh, he got dreams and he got revelation from the angel about the sheep and and which one reproduce and which one doesn't. He's been guided through the whole process up to the time where. Uh, Fast forwarding all the way to uh, Esau and his encounter, uh, it's, it's this wrestling between, you know, is God really for me in this entire time? Is, you know, is it really the God of my father redirect, directing my path? Or is it a mixture of both where things are up to me 
or things are really up to God. And if there's this wrestling uh, all alone into the, the, the encounter with the angel, when it says that he wrestled with the angel and he won, uh, and he, it was, you know, he, he won against, I'm sorry, he faced God. I can't remember what the text actually says. But winning, because he, 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 he wrestled and he won, was the wrestling was more of a, you know, uh, fulfilling the, the will of God to the end in the midst of all his circumstances. That was the winning. That was the, the angel really didn't have the power to give him something that he didn't already have or that God did not, could not, did not plan on giving him already. It's just reassuring already what God intended to give him. It was up to him to receive that and to say, no, I am going to choose God to the very end regardless of the circumstances of my life which is a very challenging thing even for us mm-hmm. to this day to see the divinity and the, and the, and the will of God in, in all of our circumstances. Uh, and I just wanted to comment on that because life challenges happen all the time and it's not really easy to overcome challenges, especially when the challenges begin to determine who we are, mm-hmm. how we feel, how we think. Uh, and that's the wrestling is that at the end, we will continue to choose God and continue to choose uh, the will of God and, and, and choose and choose the path. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, as we were learning, Jacob wasn't perfect and he did this thing and he did, uh, you know, uh, but his identity is one who wrestles with God, who wants who navigates through the struggles of life, but he's always choosing mm-hmm. to do the divine will, to, yes. do the, to fulfill his, uh, the will of God to the very end. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is a wrestling and overcoming. Praise God. All right, let's, let's pray. Lord, we love you and we bless you. Thank you for your kindness, Lord, in seeking us out and bringing restoration for the sake of reconciliation. Lord, thank you for your empowerment by your spirit that we can walk uprightly before you and with man and be your agents of reconciliation in this world. Help us to choose you. Help us, Lord, to uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've given us. Lord, we thank you for your kindness, your faithfulness, and we bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.